There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Sports Drink Network. This is Tom coming to you from the D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. It is April 28, 2023. The dam is broken and we've begun the 2023 season, ignited by the first round of the NFL draft. And Nick, you and I got what we asked Santa for for Christmas. Back, guys. We got him. Roderick Jones, everybody. Steelers get an SEC bona fide star offensive tackle. The first offensive tackle drafted in the first round in Pittsburgh, at least since the 90s. I want to say like 96 or something like that. And once again, every year, if you're a Steelers fan, you generally know where the draft is is going to go. There are four tackles available, and there are a few cornerbacks available in the draft. The Steelers need a tackle. They need a cornerback. One of the cornerbacks is the son of a former star player that almost all but guarantees his selection. Joey Porter Jr., hopefully we can get this podcast out before the Steelers end up selecting him in a few hours, basically, Dad. (laughs) Um, But Broderick Jones, there were four real first-round prospects at tackle this year in the NFL draft. None of them are considered absolute home run prospects along the lines of Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater who were drafted a few years ago, but they, but none of these prospects are considered experimental either. I would say so reliably, Hey, you could take any one of these four guys in the first round. And so there's a lot of heat around the Steelers draft in one of these guys. Then you start to hear many rumors fueled by probably by Mike Tallman himself in his press conference, that the Steelers were open for business in terms of moving up or moving down in the draft, given the fact that the Steelers, yes, fleeced Chicago in their trade of Chase uh, Chase Claypool to get the 32nd overall pick in the draft. So the Steelers had a lot of ammunition. Good luck to Chase. I hope he still does well over there. But that being said... Everything lined up for the Steelers to take an offensive lineman, and they go ahead and they take a guy, tell me if you've heard this before, who came from a Power 5 school, who's an underclassman, who is an absolute athletic freak and has a ton of potential, but has really only played like 11 games, and he's a raw player. Steelers were at his pro day. Looks like all these Steeler traditions, um, despite being changed around a little bit with Omar Khan and Eric Weidel leading the charge. Look at the Steelers using a fourth-round pick to trade up. There's some things that have changed. There's some things that stay exactly the same. I think it would be hard to give anything except for an A for this uh, particular pick, Dad. I think, um, like I said, it's not Rashawn Slater or whatever. It's not this 100% slam dunk pick, but it's as much of a – it's a dunk. It's at least a dunk. The Steelers got their first-round lineman. It's pretty exciting. The guy's uh, got elite talent. Yeah, and I want to talk about the criticism for not picking up Gonzalez, but I I stick with what we said before. You are always going to have the situation, if you're drafting 
a good offensive lineman you want to draft high, there's always going to be a better, you know, if you're looking, you're going to be able to say there are cornerbacks available, right? I mean, the problem is you're always going to have to make a choice in that situation. And I, I vote that we are building a line for the future. We got a brand new shiny quarterback who presumably will be around. I'd like to build a consistent offensive line, high performance offensive line around him. By the way, I, I know I'm the only one who cares about this stuff, but you mentioned the last time the Steelers drafted a tackle number one, and you're right. 1996, Jermaine, Jermaine Stevens, who petered out after two years, but two years before that, Leon Searcy. Do you remember, does that name ring a bell with you? That was I'm disgraced. That I actually don't remember either one of those names. Leon Searcy. Well, I don't remember the first guy, but Leon Searcy played for a while. and, and had Was he a, a starter on the team, the Neil O'Donnell Super Bowl run team? I assume, I assume he must have been. If he yeah 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 he started he played for the Steelers through '95. Oh well, hmm. okay. So that's the other anyway. Sorry. There. Well, back it to is the, there. Back to the it's story. Just not here. Yeah, back to the story. And let's not go too in depth right now because we have a whole other pod tomorrow uh, to dissect all the rest of the Steelers' picks. But you you brought up a great point in terms of there's there's going to be some. Um, it's not uh, controversy or conflict, but yeah, consternation perhaps over the fact that the Steelers passed up Christian Gonzalez, who's considered to be one of the two top flight slam dunk cornerback uh, draft picks available in the first round. They passed him up. He was on the board when they traded up in favor of Broderick Jones. So if we parse out the details of the Steelers selecting Broderick Jones in the first round, you have a few different things that come to mind. Okay, so let's break down this draft pick once again. So, number one, there's the idea of trading up. So, I'm, I want to ask you, after I sort of set this up, Dad, how do you feel about the Steelers trading a, a fourth-round pick to move up, you know, three spots or whatever it was? There's the second component, which is thinking about Broderick Jones as a prospect, given the fact that he is extremely raw. He has very little technique in his hand usage and his footwork. And then the third component I'd say would be the idea that this, the cornerback needy Steelers passed up Christian Gonzalez, a, a surefire first-round cornerback pick, who, by the way, slid to 17, right? That doesn't mean that he should have slid. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick as safety slid, Derwin James slid, but the Steelers did pass up a sure, uh, quote-unquote surefire cornerback prospect, which could be a little risky given the fact that the Steelers have jettisoned all their cornerbacks. They've brought in a 33-year-old quarterback, and they haven't shown the propensity to, to develop that well over the years, although that may be changing, I think, if, if you really look at that. So first question. How do you feel about the, the trade of a fourth-rounder to move up? I do not care. We do not care. Case. I don't really care. I don't care. You, all three questions, I, I, I'm not phased by it. I, I wanted the offensive tackle. He seems as well-suited to, to the role we're looking for as you can get. Why don't you care about trading a fourth-round pick? I just place a high value. We, we've said all along for the last year, if we're going to get a tackle, we need to go high in the draft. And that's just the cost. And the Steelers are not going to go top 10 without trading, you know, or, or top 15 in this case, if we don't trace, trade some value away. And I just don't think the fourth round is a big cost for that. I could not agree more. I think we've put out this opinion on the podcast before. 
I don't care about picks after the third round. I do not care about them. Oh, we got Antonio Brown after the third, uh, third round. Oh, you need, you know, Vince Williams. What a great contributor. Yeah, I'm not saying that there's never a good player after the third round. Of course there are. And of course there's special teams value and the ability to affordably construct a roster because you are you need backups. You need special teams players. So, yeah, I'm not saying abolish those rounds of the draft, but the rate of success for players past the third round is minuscule. And I keep hearing the, the theory that, oh, the draft is a crapshoot. The draft is not a crapshoot. That is an overcorrection, right? What people are trying to respond to is, hey, you don't know if a player is going to do well in the NFL because sometimes a great-looking prospect doesn't succeed in the NFL because their success depends on so many other factors than their college performance and their athletic ability. You know, Pat McAfee always mentions it's a huge change for some of these 20-year-old kids, many of whom didn't have any means growing up. It's a huge change for them to move to a whole new city. Let's say you grew up in Miami your whole life, and then you move to uh, Buffalo. Like, there's a culture shock. You're far away from your family. You have to handle all these finances. There's massive turmoil in your life, let alone, hey, who's your coaching staff? Do they have a good scheme? Are there good players next to you? So, yes, there's a lot of factors that lead into a successful uh, career. But if you look down the list of any, I don't want to say Pro Bowl roster. We know the Pro Bowl is not a serious thing, but let's just use that as an example. Look down the Pro Bowl roster. Look at the draft list for the past few years. The most good players, star players, come from the first round. It's not a shock to think, this Miles Garrett guy, I think he's good. Well, why? Well, he's bigger, faster, and stronger than all of the other players, and we do have the ability to watch film and, and diagnose things like football technique, and he seems to be really good at all these things. Well, so you don't know if he's going to become Lawrence Taylor or not. Uh, I guess you're right, but it looks like the odds are pretty high that he's going to be good. So that being said, there's a premium on the first through third round picks. And like you've said and like I've said, we have just been – strongly under uh, the thought process that the Steelers need to at least acquire one or two bona fide top talent level offensive linemen. We can't just keep signing 25 and 30 year old offensive linemen who are good role players. We want to copy that mold of the Steelers um, finally caving and drafting Marquise Pouncey and then David DeCastro in the first rounds. And I'm not saying that to compare and say, Hey, you can just, take what happened in a previous era and apply it now, but it just seems that there's so many examples of you create a good offensive line by at least having one or two guys who have actual, we got to remember like offensive line is hard. We all look at it as cattle. Like, yeah, you just train a guy up. No, there are guys who are more talented. So I completely agree. That's not a big price for me to pay to be able to move up to draft somebody with a talent level that is significant. And then at that point, offensive line, becomes somewhat fungible like a running back where it's like, okay, there are a lot of other elements that can help an offensive line like skill players and scheme. But it's nice to finally have some big boys in there to get it started. And uh, it resembles another team, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I, I, I dig the pick. And if they traded a third, that would be harder to stomach. Fourth, I don't care. I think it's great value. I look at the fourth through seventh round as the VIG in, in making trades or you know trading up what have you because that, that's all I almost consider that 
financial capital. You know, maybe you'll find some special teams players and you'll find good, solid players and rarely you'll find an A player in those rounds. But I, I would use it the way the Steelers used it. I think it was really effective, yeah. which makes it interesting, doesn't it? The, the trade that the Jets made to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. Didn't they swap like their pick to 17 for their for the seventh round, their seventh round's picks? There were Yeah, the, the trade for Aaron Rodgers was the Jets, and which has massive impact on this Broderick Jones selection from the Steelers. The Jets swapped first-rounders this year with the Packers, which enabled the New England Patriots to move ahead of the Jets in the draft. The New England Patriots are a Jets rival. The New England Patriots traded their pick to the Steelers to let the Steelers jump the Jets, and the Jets needed to take a tackle. So first off, that had huge implications. But what you were asking in terms of the the um, the Packers throwing in like a six-round pick in addition to the first-rounder that the Jets are almost certainly going to have to give the Packers next year, the deal is, hey, if Aaron Rodgers plays more than 65% of the snaps, then the Packers get the Jets' first-round pick next year. If he somehow plays under 65% of the snaps, the Packers receive the Jets' second-round pick. That's the crux of the trade, but then you're right. They throw in this, you also get a fifth, and we'll give you our sixth. So that they act like currency. I don't know how much people really care about that or not. I think I've compared it. It, it looks on the surface to feel like you're saving face to your fan base. Like, hey, we got we got picks. Which picks were they? Uh, pick 415. But honestly, it, it does make sense because – Hey, you're going to draft in the fifth and sixth rounds anyways. You do have a chance of landing a great player there. Like we said, you got Vince, you got AB, you got all kinds of guys. You might as well move up in those later rounds. But once again, it's part of it's, – it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not as much of a game changer as that 65% playing time decides between a, a second and first round pick. Um, I just thought I thought that they swapped their seventh round picks, which was like it seems so inconsequential to me. I I, have, I don't yeah. feel like. But let's can we um just a couple of the pros and cons on Broderick Jones because one of the things you had mentioned is getting underclassmen. This guy is an under underclassman. He's twenty one, right? I think he's a sophomore, isn't he? I don't know what grade he's in or if he redshirted or not, but yeah, he checks the Steelers' boxes in major ways in terms of they love 21-year-olds from these Power 5 schools, and this guy is that guy. He is freakishly talented. He's got an incredible body. He's one of those weirdo alien heroes of the human race who's like, yeah, he's 340 pounds, but he's got a thin waist. Like this... (laughs) It's an awesome pick to me. I mean, we know it it may or may not pan out, and I want to address the Christian Gonzalez thing in a second here. I feel like I lost my train of thought. Shocker um, in regards to some of the other details, but star beat reporter for the Steelers, Alex Cazora for Steelers Depot, made the point online that the Steelers' offensive line coach, Pat Meyer, who by all accounts, I think we'd all agree, year one, was it his second year last year? I think it was his first year was a big success with how that offensive line developed. Well, Pat Meyer, Alex says, is not a yeller. He's not a screamer. He's a teacher. He really focuses on improving these players. And the results of last year speak for themselves and how much noticeably better the offensive line got, even though we agree they actually started the season better than we thought they would. Well, that is a good recipe for somebody like Broderick Jones, who it, he's, he reminds me a lot of T.J. Watt. 
this is very similar to the TJ Watt pick where TJ was very raw coming out of college because he played tight end at the beginning of his Wisconsin career. He switched to defensive line or to, you know, edge rusher. And the idea was, hey, obviously this guy's the younger brother of one of the greatest players in NFL history. He has the genetics and the athletic talent to be a star player. He just needs to develop a little bit. This is a similar thing where it's like the maybe even more of a freak for his position than TJ Watt is. So it's going to require some development, but given the fact that he's only played like 11 games at Georgia, there just seems like there's a lot of room um, for manageable improvement. I talk about things like Chase Claypool is a perfect example of where he has some things that I don't think can ever be fixed in terms of he goes downfield. He has so much difficulty tracking the ball. He does not have soft hands. Like, those are kind of things that you either have or you don't have. Like even Kenny, Kenny Pickett, his arms, never, he's never going to be able to throw the way Mahomes throws. By the way, Joe Burrow will never be able to throw the way Mahomes throws. There's just certain physical talent elements that guys have or don't have, and then there's certain things that you can work on. With Jones, better hand placement, so learning how to punch guys in the center of the chest instead of get his hands all wide and just grabbing a dude at the shoulders – that's a very manageable thing to learn how to do because it is technique. It's not Kenny Pickett in the pocket where we're, we're, we're tossing a coin in terms of like, man, I hope he learns how to stay in the pocket, which is very like esoteric and mental and different every time it happens, right? Uh, hey, Broderick Jones needs to learn how to do a better bucket step for pass protection. That's the same movement over and over and over again. You just have to start working it in now that the stakes are high and you can block Miles Garrett. Um, yeah, they just seem like manageable things to improve. Broderick Jones, sophomore, 21, huge upside. So we are very excited about that. The thing that was really interesting is how far Christian Gonzalez dropped. It is. So the story behind that, apparently, Sports Illustrated reported that they overheard Mike Tomlin talking to Minka Fitzpatrick. I don't know if it was at a workout or, or, or where it was, but they overheard him saying something along the lines of, yeah, he won't, Christian Gonzalez won't be talking with the Steelers much more. The report is that Mike Tomlin and the Steelers worried about Christian Gonzalez's a, uh, attitude and love for football. I hate to say that on a podcast to, uh, to report that as a fact or to give people that impression that that's definitely what what the deal is with him, but that's what's been reported. That does add up and track to see that the guy slipped so far. Um, and clearly the Steelers have a type of player they want. I believe Connor Rogers for Bleacher Report and NBC said on his podcast with Chris Sims when they were analyzing Broderick Jones as a tackle prospect, who they ranked as the second-ranked tackle prospect in the draft, saying that he's very raw, so on and so forth. I think Connor Rogers mentioned that there was a play in which Broderick Jones blocked a guy into the kicking net, which is to say he's hyper-aggressive. He needs to improve in his pass blocking, but the run blocking, he's mean. The Steelers have made a, an extremely specific effort to get mean run blockers. They got a mean running running back who they retaught how to run angry, right? And Najee, Jalen Warren gets downhill quick. 
The Steelers are very particular about the type of personalities they have. Broderick Jones fits that intensity that they're looking for. They're looking to build a mean team, which is awesome because, like I said, this all revolves around Kenny Pickett, who we're very excited about. Hopefully, who knows, maybe he can ascend to Joe Burrow, but I'm hoping he can ascend to like a Tony Romo or whatever. But you know what you have is, hey, we need a well-balanced team. The thing about Kenny, he's a badass. He's obviously very composed. But let's ram the ball down people's throats because, damn it, Lamar Jackson signed a five-year deal. Damn it, the Ravens got Odell, and they got Zay Flowers in the draft. So the Steelers are going to go back to what they did before, and it looks like Christian Gonzalez didn't fit within that culture. But that's, again, just what we're hearing. Last thing I'll say about that, Dad, it's just funny because the Patriots traded back with the Steelers. The Patriots and the Steelers had the same needs. They both need a tackle, and they both need corners. So the Patriots were okay with passing on Broderick Jones, but the Patriots and Bill Belichick, who by all accounts are extremely buttoned up and would not seemingly want to take a player who has a questionable um, dedication to football, they were fine taking Gonzalez. So I'd just love to know what these buildings are thinking. Is it really a one-to-one comparison? Hey, Bill Belichick, I don't really like Broderick Jones. Uh, I... Like, yeah, I'll trade back for this. I'll pass up on this guy. I don't even want him. Or is it uh, Bill Belichick says, I value Christian Gonzalez and Broderick Jones at a similar level. And we need both these positions. But if I value them at a similar level, I'll take the guy who also comes with the fourth round pick. I don't know. There's tons of different value propositions within that. Maybe the Steelers also take Broderick Jones at, where do we take him? 15? 14. Trade it up. Was that? 14. 14, sorry. Um, Maybe we trade up and say, okay, there's only one corner off the board right now. The chances of there being another corner available for us at our next pick, which is 32, are really high. So let's get the lineman now because we know there are more corners who are going to be available. Again, that's a gamble because you don't know. But who knows what the alchemy is that, that leads into the Patriots being cool moving back and the Steelers feeling that they need to move up and take a tackle instead of Yeah, moving. we often criticize the NFL for being kind of a me-too league, but in this case, it's a, it's a perfect experiment, right? As you pointed out, both two teams having the same needs, making different decisions about that, and it's interesting. And yeah, I would love to have been in the room to understand how those selections are made. One other thing, when you're watching, if you're watching the draft last night, it's it's really something to watch the guys getting picked in the top 10 coming out of the green room. And you could just, it's palpable. You know, the, the release of emotion yeah. is palpable. These big football players, they get, they get yeah. very emotional. And then it came to Christian Gonzalez and it looked like he was being led to the guillotine when he came out of the green room. I mean, guillotine, guillotine, guillotine. Well, you have the French accent, but he know, looked like guy. he was going to a funeral. Uh, you know, obviously it, it seemed hmm. to me that, you know, slipping to 17, had a big impact on him. Although if he yeah. if he steps back and thinks he's he's going to a team where he's going to get coaching, right? Oh yeah, and they have an awesome secondary with him in there. I I they people kept saying the Patriots need corner. They need a corner, and I'm looking over there like, don't they have some studs and Jack Jones and they got Duggar at safety? Anyways, so they they could be building a frightening secondary. It's kind of wild. You're looking at the Patriots and the Steelers rebuilding their teams from the early 2000s. The Patriots with an elite secondary, the Steelers with a power run game and stuff. So that's pretty cool. I'll say um, I'm realizing right now, Dad, maybe we tack this on to the longer pro- – if you have time to produce it and get it out today on, on Friday before the next round of the draft goes, 
that'd be awesome. If not, maybe we tack this onto the front of the ultimate pod that we record tomorrow after the rest of the picks. But what I'll say about the draft showing these guys in these emotional moments, you know, sometimes, Dad, we can have a we can have a Pittsburgh tilt to us. You know, some some tough steel hardened uh just you know spirit that had to make it through the death of the steel industry into the to the birth of the glorious medical industry and now the the the, the baseball industry which has finally finally blossomed in front of our eyes with this with the uh pirates being good as the poor steel man and, and and penguins lose their legends but that being said I don't think these are fluff pieces when it comes to showing these guys have their dreams come true in the NFL. I think this is really valuable. So Anthony Richardson, the quarterback who got taken at four by the Colts, I saw a video of him yesterday uh, watching a video made by his brother. So I think that's what the NFL did. They had a lot of like family members make videos for these high draft picks and basically like, tell them how proud of them they are, so on and so forth. And Anthony Richardson, who by all means would lead us into war against aliens if we had to, he's like a Cam Newton. He's crying. He's you know his brother is just reading monotonously off of a pa- piece of paper, but clearly it is coming from the heart. He's just working on his you know public speaking. It's really not fair to put him on TV without any practice in that. But then he looks up at the end and tells him he loves him. It's a, it's a really nice moment. You see how uh, emotional Anthony Richardson is. He's crying. We all have siblings or, or you know people close to us. So you can see, like, man, what a big deal this is. I think it's hard for people to remember that uh, the vast majority of these guys, especially in the NFL, which is a game that humbles you so much, football, these are, these are people. Like, a lot of them came from pretty difficult circumstances, and it's hard to look at how much money they make. And f- for some reason, it's hard for people to remember that that's not, like, taxpayer money. It's money actually given voluntarily by human beings. Like, the value of the NFL, it's not overvalued. It's precisely valued. It's how much do people pay to watch it? That's my so, boy. And, He's been listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, valued. it's very valuable to us, right? Nobody's, they're not taking this from your taxes and giving it to the guys. This is how much people are willing to pay. So, but I understand. It's, it's hard to make that connection um, when you got to grind at a regular job all day and these guys are making a million dollars to play a game, so on and so forth, whatever. But the, it, it's cool. This kind of opens the door at the very beginning of these guys' careers. When you see these draft videos, it immediately humanizes them. You're like, oh, man, can you imagine if that were me? Can you imagine if that were my brother or sister in some similar situation, whatever it is? So that, those kind of pieces are cool, and you, you saw a lot of that in the top 15, like you were saying. And in the most unpredictable draft we've had in many years, I said this to P. Butch on the phone the day before. I was like, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to pretend to know, but it, it feels like we should just be looking back at the top 10, and it should just be the best players. And that's what happened. We don't know who's going to pan out, but the freaks all went early. And Broderick Jones is one of those freaks, and the Steel Men got him. The second round starts tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern with the Steelers leading off with a pick they acquired from Chicago in the trade of Chase Claypool. They'll get a second bite at the apple with pick 49, and the Steelers will also get the 80th pick when it comes to round three. So we have a lot more to talk about tomorrow after we get through these picks. Yeah, here comes Joey. Here comes Joey, everybody. It's Joey or a trade back. There's no other options. Welcome back to the Steelers Outpost podcast, where we are 
revisiting the culmination of the 2023 NFL draft and the Steelers bounty of goods that look like dreams do come true. They do. The Steelers are back. The Steelers are now the front runner for the Super Bowl that nobody knows about. We are the Steelers Outpost Podcast brought to you proudly by Sports Drink. That's Papa Tom over there in the old school DC Outpost Sawdust Studios, a.k.a. the skinniest, smallest laundry room known to man. And if by laundry room, I mean the room where the laundry machines go and all the tools and and just manly stuff. You know, there's some old uh, broken lax sticks, some... I'd say deflated footballs, but you're pretty good about that, keeping them inflated. So whenever we need to sling it, we can sling it. And whenever we need to sling words and soliloquies about the Steelers' upcoming and unavoidable dominance, we can do it in Sawdust Studios as well. And I'm over here in Houston. And, Dad, I don't know, I don't know how to kick this off, um, but let's just say I have an issue with – People overcompensating during draft talk um, for people getting hyped up about a draft. I understand that players need to get to the league for you to truly find out if they'll be good players in the NFL. It's very situation dependent, but there's this idea out there that you have no idea what's going to happen in the draft with these guys. You know, Pat McAfee, greatest broadcaster known to man, talks about that a lot. He says, you, you have no idea. It's a total crapshoot. And Pat's saying it for effect. He's trying to make the point that that people crown these draft classes too early. But I have heard other people echo that sentiment. You have no idea what you get. Well, that is just, that's not true. That is not true at all. The draft historically has been a pretty good predictor of who the good players are going to be. If you look through the best players in the league, I'd like to say Pro Bowl rosters, but we know that's a little different. But let's just say, look through the Pro Bowl rosters. Most of them are first round. Second most of them, second round. Then the third round. Yes, we have some general idea of who's good at football and who's not. And all the the reason why I say that is this. The Steelers hit a grand slam. I mean, this might be this has the potential to be the greatest Steelers draft class in, in eras. You got known players, star productive players at every round of the draft. And all of these guys have massive athletic well, at least the top guys have massive athletic potential too. So you're not confusing this for Jarvis Jones, sort of stat patter guy in college who, um, you know, didn't have the athletic profile, which is odd coming out of Georgia because Steelers took a bunch of Georgia guys. When you think about Pickens and you think about Broderick Jones, and I I just, uh, I don't think there's going to be a Steelers fan or or pundit on the planet who is going to have a bad word to say about the Steelers draft class, even though, yeah, we know they need to develop, but what a set of names feels like a home run for Omar Khan's first draft. The con man is at the con. He's got total control. Eric, double boxcar, Weidel. Also, you could see his imprint on this. And I am just excited that the Steelers fulfilled all the needs we identified. You and I personally called them and identified before the season. And they completed that, that fulfillment through the draft. You know, that's a great point that you bring that we were talking about those needs before the 2022 season. Like the writing was on the wall for the Steelers in the positions that they needed. We knew, we've known for years, that offensive line would need to be heavily invested in. We've seen this in Pittsburgh before. The Steelers struggled tremendously with fielding a great offensive line, and the only way they fixed that was by drafting one of the greatest scrambling quarterbacks of all time and, and Ben Roethlisberger and having an, an, basically an all-time great defense in those eras 
And that's how they were able to get to those first Super Bowls and win them with Ben because the defense was so good and Ben was so good at, you know, extending plays and getting trunk yards. But after that, you were a little nervous that the guy was only going to play seven years. Well, what did they do? Two first-round picks. You know, Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro, they used a second-rounder on Marcus Gilbert. And then, yeah, all the rest of the guys who filtered through, Villanueva, Ramon Foster, Beecham, all these guys were like undrafted dudes or, or late rounders, but it really started with the investment in the offensive line. And so two years ago, the Steelers, everybody retired from the offensive line and they had nothing, literally nothing. They tried to fill some of the holes with third rounders. You get Chuksakoro for Kendrick Green, but we knew that they needed to make a more sizable investment. And that started last year in free agency with picking up James Daniel from the Chicago Bears, a Pro Bowl caliber guard who was under or like 25 or under. Okay, that's great. There's still some more work that you need to do there. And obviously the Steelers addressed that in the draft and they addressed it in free agency. So I guess before we get into the specifics of the players who the Steelers have drafted, I think it's been clear what the Steelers need for a few years, especially after... They took Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth in sort of two surprise moves in the first and second round a couple years ago. That's when you knew they need corners, they need linemen, and they didn't even take those. So after you got those two players and they turned out to be good players, you knew unequivocally, here are the positions the Steelers need. So what's exciting about this, especially after they pick up Kenny Pickett, you get a quarterback who you're excited about but doesn't have the freakish ceiling. Now, let's hope he gets there anyway, but let's be honest. You know, he doesn't have the same freakish ceiling as some of the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Um, You're hoping that the Steelers follow the blueprint of one of the premier franchises in the NFL right now, which is the Eagles, which is building through the trenches and accumulating draft picks. And, uh, yeah, it's just – it's cool to see that they've – had a vision here. And so, Dad, I don't know how you want to go through this if we want to go through guys one by one. We don't have, like, full scouting report breakdowns, although we have we have breakdowns for all of these players. Um, do you want to talk about Omar Khan, maybe, and, and noticing some of the differences in his drafting strategy versus Kevin Colbert? Because I feel like there are two points. In one way, everything stayed the same. The Steelers drafted nothing but <laughs> freak athletes. Guys with massive potential who had good college careers, but their best football should be ahead of them. So that's exciting, but that also means they have a bust factor if you don't develop them. So in one way, that's the exact same as the Kevin Colbert era. And then in another way, the they traded 100 times, which is completely anti-Kevin Colbert. Did you feel that there was a different tenor to this draft without Kevin Colbert? What impressed me is there seemed to be sort of more math in this draft than, than Colbert would show, right? Because we actually dropped back and were successful in that calculation by picking up Darnell Washington. In a way, I guess you could look last year and say we got Pickens. You know, we, we guessed right on him, but we're literally dropping back in the draft and getting guys that, you know, had been projected at a at higher round, like round three. And he's still there. I mean, some of these players are still there. So it seems to me there was a little intestinal fortitude combined with some some – heavy duty math. And there's a lot more of that climbing up and down the ladder, understanding or having confidence that the players you want are still going to be available. That's what I saw. Right. And obviously there's no way to, to totally 
predict who's going to be available and who's not going to be available, but there was clearly a willingness to move around. I mean, it just so rarely happened with Colbert. I think the fact that stands out the most to me is that the Steelers drafted Keanu Benton at, what, like 49 or something like that in the second round? They didn't draft again until 93, which is the longest gap in like decades for the Steelers in between drafting picks. And at the end of the day, unfortunately for our purposes, dad, this is just conjecture. We don't know what the Steelers philosophies truly are because it is, it revolves around conversations that have, that are had beyond closed doors. And it's probably dependent on who's available in what year. Like, I think that Kevin Colbert would have, I hope that he would have made that. I guess he did make the, the Chase Claypool trade, actually, now that you think about it. But what a fortuitous situation that somebody wanted to trade for Chase Claypool as his deal is almost expiring. But I guess what I mean to say is that we don't know if this is Kevin Colbert's ironclad opinion, but it seems like they did have a philosophy where they thought more picks is better. We will not go a long stretch of time without picks. To me, I don't like that that type of thinking. It's like, You're just, it's sort of overvaluing fourth and fifth and sixth round picks, in my opinion, where if if the opportunity is presented, yeah, go prioritize those earlier rounds. And maybe Kevin Colbert would have said, hey, if I had pick, uh, you know, 17, 32, and 49, yeah, I would know that I had more to work with and more to move around with, just like Mike Tomlin and Omar Khan said in their press conference. But Regardless, I guess I'll just get away from the difference between Colbert and not. This does feel like a sort of modern draft strategy, especially when you see the, the Steelers move up a few places to get Broderick Jones. All they traded was a fourth-round pick. That is perfect. You and I talked about it on the other podcast. That's what a fourth-round pick is to me. It's, it's leverage. And I know Martavis is a fourth-round pick. I'm not saying there aren't good players there, but the the difference in trading that fourth round pick is they got Broderick Jones and then there were no more tackles. You look at what happened to the Jets. They took a, an edge rusher. Like, and, and I'm excited about him. I hope he's good, but he's an undersized edge rusher. He's not necessarily a, a freak prospect. And they have five edge rushers on the roster already. This sort of reminds me of, well, when they drafted Najee, you could have you traded up for Christian Derisaw. Just a, one pick. They, they missed him by one pick. Artie Burns instead of um, the guy who was on the Steelers for one minute, the Bengals cornerback, William Jackson III. You could have traded up. If, if, if I'm not saying other teams were making those picks available via a single fourth-round pick, but it does kind of smell that way. So I was just happy to see how willing the Steelers were to play with the board and move around. And then at the end of the day, it's just hard to argue with the draft class. Everyone on ESPN is going to love it too, just because so many of these guys are so well-known. I agree with your point. I would rather have fewer picks at the upper end and give away the cannon fodder that comes, you know, after you know, round four is still somewhat valuable, but everything after is to me cannon fodder. And I'd like to fill in the way Omar was doing in season, you know, just trying to, hopefully you get more than journeyman, but you get some proven veterans out there to fill up. But I would like three, I would like three picks in the first two rounds. I th- I'd be more satisfied with that than seven total picks. Yeah, as would I. So interesting. And the, and the reason why I think that was particularly valuable for this year was that the Steelers unequivocally needed a tackle 
they invested heavily on the interior of the offensive line. Maybe if there was a great center available in the first round, they could have taken him. And there doesn't even seem to be a Creed Humphrey type prospect who's a favorite conversation topic for Steelers fans. He's a consensus second or third round center a few years ago who ended up being an all pro his rookie year for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that made you and I look at our draft strategy and say, man, the Steelers knew unequivocally that they needed a center and this guy was available. He didn't have a first round grade on him, but he had a consensus. This is like a 10 year starter type of grade on him. Nobody thought he would, he would be a bust. Maybe the Steelers should have just bit the bullet and taken the guy because that's how the year lined up. They need a center. Here's a center. Sorry, it's not Marquise Pouncey, but this is good value. Well, this year the Steelers needed a damn tackle, and the drop-off after Broderick Jones was humongous. So trading up ensures that you get that guy. Otherwise, you you make some random pick. You're like, oh, we'll, we'll go with our board. Like, that's not a real thing. It's a salary cap era. You have holes that you have to fill. And the Jets are the perfect example of that. I hope Will McDonald, for Cousin P. Butch's sake, turns into a star edge rusher for the Jets. But it was hard to justify that pick with all the other needs they had and the fact that they already have four edge rushers. So that gets you Artie Burns. That gets you weird picks. So I like that they moved around like that. But I guess we've buried the lead. Should we read out the picks? Everybody obviously knows the picks by now. But Yeah, and there's uh, a lot of in-depth. There are a lot of deep dives out there people can read. But, yeah, let's go over the list. Uh, just sort of sure. pros and cons or what, what's some nuance about that that pick that you see. So we, we did a lot on Broderick Jones in the first part of the episode. Let's move on to the Steelers' pseudo other first-round pick. Yeah, so Joey Porter Jr. has been a Steeler for about a year now. He's just a couple hours away in Happy Valley. You knew it. I knew it. Everybody in Pittsburgh knew it. Everybody outside Pittsburgh's laughing about it. When he comes onto the scene this year as a great player for Penn State, everybody knows, like, oh, well, the Steelers are going to draft him. The Steelers are drafting sons and brothers left and right. This was one of two family members they drafted in this draft since they got Nate Herbig later in the draft, the brother of new guard, Nick, or they got Nick Herbig, who's the brother of Nate Herbig. Hilarious, right? So Joey Porter Jr., Cornerback out of Penn State, very similar to Broderick Jones. This is a guy with absolutely elite athletic ability, his body, his measurements, and everything like that, but he's raw and he needs some schooling. He's a little bit of a grabber, which is a very college thing to do, but you pair him together with Broderick Jones as your first-round picks. These are guys with massive upsides. He's not as clean as Gonzalez, who they passed on, or... You know, Witherspoon is just a true stud already. And he would have been a little bit of a bummer pick in the first round if he took him at 17. But when you get him at 32, and he was definitely the best cornerback on the board at that time, you have to feel awesome about it. It's hilarious, the Joey Porter thing. I do think it's real. I Like, we joke about it. I think Mike Tomlin and the Steelers have created something really cool over there. We talked ad nauseum about how the Steelers have a very famous culture And Ryan Clark talks about it on his podcast even to this day. He just had Kenny Pickett on this past week, and he impressed upon him at the end of the podcast. He got serious and was like, hey, look, one thing, though, you got to remember who came before you for the Steelers. Like, this is a college team. We come back. This is a big deal, blah, blah, blah. So it is real, and I think that the brothers thing is part of that. Also considering, hey, this son of our former star player, he's a star player himself. So I think you got to feel awesome about filling an instant need. I'm just going to say with Broderick Jones and Joey Porter, 
if they're not starting at the beginning of the season or they're not playing well, it's going to be our job to keep people from jumping off a bridge because you have to remember these guys are not stars already. Like it's probably going to be a rough rookie year or an up and down rookie year, but that's intentional because with these picks, the Steelers have taken guys where you could turn around in a year or two and look at the Steelers and say, oh my goodness, it, it's freaks everywhere. And that to me is how you uh, compete with teams that have Joe Burrow. What do you think the chances of Joey Porter starting? You, you said if he does start and he doesn't do well, but what are the chances of him actually starting? I think it's very high. I even think, I don't remember, I think the Steelers defense bat back coach said there are no red shirt years. And obviously it feels like if you're the Steelers, young players have first and second rounders are pretty much instant starters regardless. And the Steelers are very thin at that cornerback position right now, but he'll have to battle for it. And uh, it's a, it's a messy, weird, sloppy group of corners. So he probably will play. But if at some point here, Broderick uh, are not playing over somebody else, I wouldn't panic then. It's going to be, it's hard not to as a fan, but you have to remember how you draft these guys. Like are there Troy was not a star player his rookie year, right? Some guys are like George Pickens. We expect him to take a massive leap this year, but he was pretty awesome the second he stepped on the field. These guys are a little different, uh, little different projects, and the reason is George Pickens. Some of his skill set coming from college is so elite that it immediately translates to the NFL. Like he can jump higher than everybody, and he can catch the ball and track it incredibly well it doesn't matter who's standing next to him so that translated immediately now his release game off the line of scrimmage his route running those are nuanced things that take some work and that's how we should see Pickens improve but the fact that he always had that hey I can just run straight and just grab the ball off of somebody's head that made it for a quicker transition to the NFL these guys Broderick Jones Joey Porter they have technique issues all over the place and unfortunately, as a corner, there is not a, a similar situation where you can just grab the ball over somebody's head, right? It's you have to mirror people. And same thing for Broderick Jones at tackle. So those positions have a higher premium on your technique. So if you take the measurements of Joey and Broderick, they are like all pro level, like their size, their speed and everything for their positions. But the technique's going to take a little work and that's why it probably won't translate immediately. All right, let's take a look at the next prospect, Keanu, I want to say Reeves, Keanu Benton, 6'4", 315 pound interior defensive lineman. Sorry. Let's look at the next draft pick, Keanu. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Heli Meli. Kiki Bobo. I think the next draft pick is really interesting too because it fills the other side of the line, which we had been uh, salivating over. Keanu Benton, he's six foot four, 315 pounds, coming out of Wisconsin. And is he our new run stuffer? And what are the prospects, what are his pros and cons, and what are his prospects for playing this year, early starting, let's say? He's not going to start, but he's going to play because he will have to play. And Keanu Benton might be the most interesting pick for me to talk about in this draft class because I think it most distinctly represents the Steelers' long-term philosophy. They are adjusting to the modern NFL. 
Modern NFL, we've been saying it for years. You need lines. You need defensive lines. Multiple. The Steelers, for 10 years, have abused Cam Hayward, TJ Watt. There's a little ice there. Don't worry about that. Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, James Harrison, Stephon Tuitt, and Alex Highsmith. All of those guys are at the very top of their usage rates for their positions. Mike Tomlin hates defensive linemen, and he hates running backs. He gives them historic usages until their bodies decay or they become Cam Hayward, who's more than man, who's assistant coach in his own right. Well, Keanu Benton, I trace him back to DeMarvin Leal from last year, a pick who a lot of people were really excited about. But they are mirror images of each other. Keanu Benton, hopefully, is going to be that stout, run-stuffing player who will need to develop some pass rush ability or at least an ability to push the pocket, but his job is to be big and to kill people. DeMarvin Leal, he's never going to be big in, in killing people because he is a little bit of a tweener, but he's a great pass rusher. So this is ideal. I mean, obviously at some point you're going to need to replace the Hall of Famer, right, Cam Hayward. Hopefully, Larry Ogunjobi gets back to form because those two guys are examples of, hey, we're a star defensive lineman. We do both. We stop the run. We rush the passer. Well, behind them, you're going to need to sub them in. And so now you have a pass rush lineman who hopefully will not have to take on so many running downs and he can do what he's good at. And then you have a run-stuffing lineman in Keanu Benton who can take on the run-stuffing duties. And you're building a basketball team, as they always say for wide receivers, but you're building a basketball team with your defensive line. And I just, I like seeing the forethought there because when you look at the Steeler, what the Steelers did last year, last two years, I think we said after the, we've been pretty firm on this. After they drafted Najee, it was a tough pick to stomach. Like we talked about it ad, ad nauseum. I'm abusing that phrase. Sorry, guys. Um, we're excited because he's such a cool player, but obviously, the value of the running back in the first round for a team in the place that the Steelers were at, which is they're on a rebuild. They're not close to a Super Bowl. Why would you draft this running back? It's going to take you years to, to build up a good team. It, it was a bad value pick. Um, but we did say after we calmed down for a second, hey, if they just go insane with adding linemen over here, then who cares? It's fine. Sure, you get one sort of wasted year with Najee while he takes a bunch of hits, but you can just hyper-prioritize offensive and defensive line after this. Boom. They have. They've used free agent, major free agent signings in Ogunjobi, third-round premium picks. Well, well, Keanu's a second round, right? Um, on Leal and Keanu Benton. And now you turn around like, well, yeah, we have a sweet powerhouse running back, and uh, you got these defensive lines where everybody fills a particular need. When you take DeMarvin Leal last year, and he plays this year, you could end up freaking out saying, man, this guy... He, he can't stop the run. He's going to get bullied. Well, guess what? Now we've addressed that issue, and those guys can shine in their respective areas. So that's really exciting to me. This is very interesting. So to continue the theme about building the running game, um, I want to ask you whether you think Darnell Washington is this year's George Pickens. Yes, I do. I, I think everyone will think that. So Darnell Washington, biggest tight end in the history of the world. And the first truly elite blocking tight end in, in a few years, honestly, like these, there aren't really blocking tight ends anymore. Even Gentry is just a bad catching, bad blocking tight end who's just a big man. There's not many people who are that size. We well, took Fryermuth, 
We hope he can get better at blocking. He's not much of a blocker, though. He's a receiver. Well, now you got your blocking tight end in Darnell Washington. And he's gigantic, so that does give you, like, he's freakishly huge. He's like 7'5". <laughs> but that gives you concern for injuries. Like, obviously, happened to Gronk, you know, Shaq, different giant athletes, Yao Ming. These guys do deal with a lot of injuries. But if this is your second tight end, he already comes into the league as an awesome blocking tight end, right? And he has added, he destroys people. He throws them under the sideline. The Steelers have placed a premium on that over um, the past few years, right? Obviously, we mentioned earlier, Broderick Jones is one of those guys. So they have created a power running game with Darnell Washington. I guess he had a knee injury that scared teams off. The Steelers, they're totally right on taking this risk. He's too good of a player uh, to not try um, try it out, especially considering when you look at his game films, like, oh, he, he looks okay. It's not like this debilitating thing. So there's at least reason to believe he'll be healthy. But also, he comes in to be a second tight end. So he's not going to have to take the, the beating. So once again, Steelers very intentional with what they're doing. They're taking absolute freaks of nature, freak athletes. That's their second Georgia player in – in this draft, the third Georgia player in two years. Oh, I saw a stat, by the way, Dad. I don't know if it's every single player, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know if it's 10 of the Georgia players or more from the past two years. They're two national championship teams. They're all on Philly and Pittsburgh. The Eagles and the Steelers are just siphoning Georgia, which is a great move because imagine what would have happened if you had siphoned Miami in the early 2000s. Like you, Oh, yeah, you would just have the best NFL team with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and every good running back in the league. But anyways, extremely excited to have an awesome blocking tight end in Darnell Washington, who, oh, by the way, does have potential to be an amazing pass catcher. So it's not like that doesn't exist. Like, that is potential, but it's not necessary for the Steelers. Like, he might be for another team. If they drafted Darnell Washington earlier, it's like, we need you to catch, you know, 60 balls. Well, Steelers already have a guy who's going to do that. So there's potential for Darnell Washington to turn into that sort of megastar. But at least right now, he has a very specific role on the team, which will also save Pat Not surprisingly, Washington downplayed those rumors about his knee. It's interesting to say he just had a little cleanup on the cartilage. So he never really addressed whether there's knee injury per se. But like I said, this is this seems yeah, like George, this is like George Pickens to me. I mean, we're, we're, we roll the dice on Pickens. We won. And hopefully it's the same case with Darnell Washington. Let's move on to our next pick. I think so. Baby Herbig. Baby Herbig, Nick Nick Herbig. So the further we go into the draft here, the less I'll spend time in them. I don't spend a ton of time watching these guys. But from what I've seen uh, written about Nate Herbig from all the great sort of draft guys that we follow, especially the Steelers draft guys, I mean, you know, Chris Sims and Daniel Jeremiah are, are kind of the beasts in the national media. And then you got Derek DeKid and John Ledyard and Alex Kazora and other guys, of course. But Nick Herbig, another outside linebacker, edge rusher from Wisconsin. So... There's actually video of TJ Watt at practice with him last year at Wisconsin practice afterwards on the side of the field working some pass rush techniques, so that's nice. But Nick Herbig is a tweener. He, they're going to try to transition him to stand-up middle linebacker because he doesn't quite have the profile to um, play outside linebacker, but he does have explosive athleticism. Uh, by the way, I found out that they're from Hawaii. So Yeah, it was like player that. of the year in Hawaii. Is this thing? That's a good place to be player of the year. Um, they got some ballers, but either way, he'll be a sort of a project. So it's like, a, hey, keep your fingers crossed that he can transition positions having never played stand-up linebacker. So from that standpoint, you're like, okay, that's kind of 
That's a bummer, but he should be able to provide some situational pass rushing plays. That's what uh, Steelers were talking about. He does have some explosivity there, like legit. Um, so once again, you got waves on the defensive line. You cannot have TJ and Highsmith playing the amount that they're playing. So that really helps. And then worst case scenario, the odds of Nick Herbig being a special team star are high. He's got the attitude and he's got that athletic ability. So another home run pick. Hilarious that he's related to Nate. The videos that they posted online of their reaction and their family's reaction to him getting drafted is all time. I highly suggest it. It's going to make you love these guys. So cool to think the guy gets drafted to the NFL. You get drafted to the new team with your brother, and it's a historic team in the Steelers. So another awesome pick that the Steelers were linked to for uh, since whenever they signed Nate Herbig. So that's a good one. And I don't know, much before you get to the – Corey Trice and Spencer Anderson tackle from Maryland. I don't really know much about these guys, to be completely honest with you, but I know that Anderson offers uh, versatility in terms of he played every position along the line, and then Trice being a se- like a redshirt senior, hopefully he, he's not you know Cam Sutton, but offers some of that um, experience. The Steelers are trying to add the athleticism with Joey, Joey Porter, <laughs> But because uh, they don't have it anywhere else, because their next guy's a 33 year old and Patrick Peterson. But hopefully that's what they're looking. Yeah, for I think people are positive for as positive as you can get late in the rounds. And what's what's interesting about him is he's he's six three and two hundred six pounds, so he's got an, a great arm length. Um, some of the reasons for concern though is long speed, which sort of I thought. Well, this would be another guy who's cut out for special teams, which you know I'm guessing he will be, but maybe not. Uh, maybe not at uh, maybe Herbig's level. So is Herbig, he, so he's more than out of the, he's not in uh, Dirty Red's mold. He has athleticism. Is that how you would distinguish them? No, he has athleticism, but, he, but here's the problem. Dirty Red played middle linebacker, and he knew how to play middle linebacker. He was great at playing middle linebacker, reading blocks, you know, diagnosing plays. He just wasn't very athletic or strong, so he would get eaten up, and then he would get uh, killed in pass coverage. This guy's an athlete who can't, who just doesn't, have the size, I guess, to play edge rusher. So they're going to try and move him back to middle linebacker. That's a tough transition. I'm going to be, that's a totally different game. Middle linebacker. If you haven't played that before, that is difficult to diagnose the way plays are going and then shoot in there with reckless abandon. Devin no. Bush never figured it out. And he has all that. So Herbert was a, an academic all American. Let, let's hope he, he can get in the um, film room and figure that out a little quicker. Yeah, true that. I mean, you can study or you can you can ingrain those instincts and let's hope that the study right, helps well, this ingrain is really the instincts. Cool. If we look at it's a very balanced draft, right? We have four offensive players, two of whom are on the offensive line, three defensive players who filled positions of need, right? We had cornerback, defensive line, and uh, I guess yep. we're not gonna count anybody lower in the draft wrong, but we were needless to say ecstatic about these choices. Time will tell how they bear out, but you know, you gotta come out of the gate strong and it looks like the con artist did. He did. The con artist did, as Mike Mike Tomlin pointed out. Obviously, there's still some holes on the Steelers. We knew there would be. It's like we said the last two years. Hey, there's not enough picks to just have zero holes. Backup inside linebacker is going to be a problem. Slot cornerback is an issue. They're, they're probably going to have to sign people at those positions, I would assume. Didn't get another safety, so that's going to be a little tricky. I know a lot of people wanted Brian Branch to be that nickel corner. He was available at multiple times during the Steelers draft. But overall, 
it's like we said, you can't hyper fixate on that. These all filled needs. There's there there's no player the Steelers drafted right now that would resemble the Mason Rudolph or Josh Dobbs picks, or you know even Dre Archer, where it's like okay, that's kind of cute. I know, and I'm not even talking about in retrospect uh, with those guys. It's just that those weren't massive positional needs, and they got cute about it. These are all needs, and most of these guys, if not all of them, have athletic potential to be true star players and. This is how I think you have to swing big because um, it's not none of these guys are quite as raw even as like Bud Dupree was coming out. But this is how you swing big to be able to compete with with some of those teams with with uh, just truly dominant quarterbacks in a game that really uh, changed the rules to favor those dudes. All right. I think, uh, geez, I wish I had the rookie minicamp date, but it uh, almost because there's something for next week. I think this. The, I think the NFL schedule reveal just got announced. The announcement for the announcement just got announced. Uh, we won't even pretend to be disinterested in that because I am thrilled to hear that. I'll be excited to see what the order of the games are for the Steelers. But unbelievable draft. Hard, hard to argue with. Very exciting. Exciting time for Steelers fans. This is just so much more enticing than the past few years have been while they've had to rebuild and, and they still are rebuilding, but I don't know, man, they're, they're on the verge if if any of these guys pan out year one as well, like to be just studs off the bat, which like I said, I do not think that will be the case. Um, but by year two, they, this team could be, I mean, if you have an elite corner, if Joey Porter, Porter turns into that and you got the best safety in the league, best edge rushing tent, like it, it gets pretty crazy pretty quickly. So like the sound of it. By the way, did you see the story about Kenny Pickett last night at the, uh, con, 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 Luke yeah. Holmes, he Luke is, Holmes concert. He's beginning yeah, to wrap that was his awesome. around his finger, if he hasn't already. Yeah, love it. Yeah, that's an easy one. Chug a beer. Luke Holmes is one of the coolest country singers too. He kind of somewhat, somewhat self-made sort of dude, and kind of still has a little bit of an edge to his music. He's a good guy. But like when I saw that he chugged that beer with Luke Holmes, I'm not a huge country guy, but even I thought like, oh, that's a cool one to do with Sturgill Simpson or Luke Holmes, like. Guy's got some taste as well. I dig it. It was Ben up there with Kenny Chesney, and now we got the next generation of Kenny Pickett with uh, Hit Luke us up Holmes. on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.